afraid of sharks. I'm not afraid of cancer. I'm just afraid of snakes. They really creep me out. Where are their arts and legs? It's not okay. I'm not afraid of ghosts. I'm not afraid of sharks. I'm not afraid of cancer. I'm just afraid of snakes. They really creep me out. Where are their arts and legs? It's not okay. Listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am not Mike Pinkleton. I'm Josh Holbrook, and I'm your host for these proceedings. You may remember me as an assistant professor of environmental science at Montreal College, co-author of the Field Herping Guide, or the guy with that one story about an armadillo, which we are not going to go into on air. But here we go with episode... Well, I don't know. Mike can insert the episode number after this. Mike's taking a break from hosting this week, so I'm taking over, and... Uh, you know, I'm I'm just going to say it. I think that I will be a better host than Pingleton. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mike is a great host, and he's he's landed a lot of really cool, exquisite interviews over the past couple of years. I was browsing and reminiscing on some of the cool interviews he's done. Mikey Fresh, right out of the gate. Uh, that, that one was good. Bob Ferguson, uh, Smet Logic, Rob Kreutzer, um, the Herp Wizard, Tim Warfel has shown up a few times there. Daniel Dye. Priyanan Jop, I use that uh, in some of my classes, make them listen to it in terms of natural resource management and thinking about that. Um, me, I guess if you like that stuff, Jeff Lem, Jake Scott, Dr. Dr. Alex Crone, Dick and Patty Bartlett, Noah Fields, a who's who of the coolest cats in Herpton. Of course, the only cats we want in Herpton are those sorts of cool cats. But as great as they all are, they pale into comparison to who I got for my interview. Mike Pingleton, welcome to the show. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was uh, that was quite the soliloquy there. Hey, I I, I learned from the best. What can I yeah. say? Yeah. So Thank here, you. and uh, let's not forget people like Dr. Emily Taylor, was one of my favorite interviews too. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, Bob absolutely. Hansen and oh, well, there's so many names that that I've got a, had a chance to interview. Yeah. If we if we missed you uh, in in the lineup there, you uh, I, I have not listened to an episode of So Much Pingle that I have not liked, and hopefully this one will be the same. We'll find out. We will find out. <laughs> so, Mike, here we are. This could be the crumble of my empire. Right here. <laughs> this is the end. This is this is uh, like uh, like in those old timey TV shows when they started bringing on the celebrities or new characters and stuff. This yeah. Is, this is this is where. This is where the Fonz and Pinky Tuscadero jumped the shark. <laughs> yes, exactly. So here we are in Peru, and it seems like with the show, all ro- roads lead to Peru. So we are sitting on the back porch of a tambo overlooking a lake with, with birds and untold numbers of snakes and frogs and all sorts of fun stuff out there, which we should probably be looking for, but they aren't moving very much. So here we are. Yeah. Well, we just had lunch, and it's really hot today. Um, uh, for a change, it's been 
the weird, weather's been weird here, but uh, today is really hot and we just got back from a long and sweaty hike and so we're kind of chilling and taking it easy this afternoon. Yep. And so I asked you, uh, well, other people have asked you here, it's, it's sort of the will of the people. So this isn't something you necessarily want to do. You don't like talking about yourself too much, but everybody else wants to hear who is Mike Pingleton? What's this guy's story? How is he so cool? And so that's that's why we're doing this today. So thank you so much for those are questions I ask myself every day. <laughs> Look in the mirror. <laughs> Who am I? What, why uh, am I so cool? <laughs> there we go. There you go. There we go. Um, so if it's okay with you, we'll just uh, go right out of the gate and, and start throwing some questions out at you. We got uh, several questions here from uh, Smet Logic, Rob Kreutzer, um, and and a few from other sources as well. Yeah, I, I got uh, a number of sort of generic questions like where were you born and that kind of thing and um you know what species are you and gen generic questions well where were you born and what species are you <laughs> uh i i was actually born in st louis missouri so uh and i uh as a child i lived out, out near la for a number of years so i was nine and then moved back to missouri and then uh, uh basically uh went through high school in the st louis area and uh number of years beyond that and then uh now uh well, from there i moved to champaign illinois um and uh i've been there now for 33 or 34 years so this is my home now i've been there longer than anywhere else so i guess that's home all right so so why illinois it's uh i mean some people see it as a herping hot spot but you also have that uh that thing called winter there yeah, it was more of a job thing, you know, uh, better opportunities, uh, better schools for the kids and that kind of thing. So okay. that's how I ended up there and uh, spent uh, almost 30 years working for the University of Illinois All right. um, until I retired. So okay, so that was a good gig for me and my family. So Cool. And and nowadays you get to, you're close enough to sort of be the, uh, the wandering wizard down at Snake Road and show up there a couple of times a year and... It's it's four hours from my house, but that's not very far, really. Um, and I've made that drive probably over a hundred times um, over the years, so no big deal. Yeah, and it's a beautiful place. It's uh, I, you know I've only been a handful of times, but I feel like it's a place you go to again and again, and it always just hits you in the same spot. Yeah, uh, in in many ways, it per, it reminds me of where we're at in the rainforest. There's so many because there's so many. Um, there's so many uh, biogeographical regions that come together down there, right? You know, the southern plains, and you have the Ozark uh, coming, Ozark uh, flora and fauna coming from the west, and you have eastern forest uh, critters coming from the east, and then the north, you have the, some of the boreal uh, species coming down. So it, it, they all kind of collide there. So it's uh, very cool and very herp heavy. So. Yeah, and it's also one of, uh, as you like to call them, the places of pilgrimage. You know, we uh, uh, you can go there and have a good time with other herpers. They, they seem to be drawn there, as they do with Peru. Yeah, the same kind of thing. You know, it's a place where people always think, well, I, that's a place I want to go to. And, and then they knock it off their bucket list, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's let's back, at, back up a little bit. I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. So when and how did you kind of, catch the herping bug and, and pardon my uh, parlance for that but uh, well yeah I know you're gonna point out that I, I've used that term myself but yeah. uh, right after in our book he get, <laughs> Mike goes on a big tirade about uh, 
about how you know it's it's so hard being a herper because everybody's like oh uh you do something with herpes but then yeah. the section right after that he uses the term the herping bug you guys can look it up <laughs> available on amazon no, re- yeah go to, you know, draw your own conclusions um it, it i i like to i always like to say it started when i was uh, say 1973 or so um it was 11 or uh, almost 12 i guess 11 years old and uh f- found some um uh, brown snakes and uh northern brown snakes and line snakes in uh the backyard under under stuff under rocks and bur- bricks i think it was um but uh i got to think about it too I, you know i had caught when we lived out in near LA I you know was like one of the other like many other kids uh interested in frogs and tadpoles and we had alligator lizards and fence whiffs all over our yard so those things you know we catch those once in a while and um also I think I think my very first herp that I ever caught was a uh rana aurora a california red-legged frog wow. uh up in up in the mountains you know, that's a game yeah, yeah. Well, back then they were a little more plentiful than they are now. But uh, I can, you know, that's probably I was probably six or seven. I caught one of those in a stream up in the mountain, up near Big Bear Lake, I think it was. But uh, so that would be my first herp that I conscious of. So gosh, you uh, you hit the ground running then. Well, you know, I think that that was sort of that's sort of the thing that lots of kids do. Uh, and maybe well back then maybe more kids because we spent an enormous amount of time outside which is not uh, the norm anymore uh so you know and creeks are and ponds are magnets for a lot of kids let's go down to the pond and see what's up there's going to be something moving down there whether it's a, a frog or a turtle or you know a bird or whatever so so those kind of places are magnets for kids that spend time outside yeah and give a kid a bike and then they can go you know even further, probably further than mom or dad know. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was a that was a different time, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so on. The, so that was you said around 1973. Well, that's when I that's when I really, you know, I first started finding these snakes in the yard. That's uh, really when I started thinking a little more deeply about it in terms of I I want to know more and I want to find more. Uh, and I also had a, I also had a science teacher in, in junior high, uh, Donald Kreutzer, uh, who was sort of a, a big mentor for me at, at, through, uh, middle school and later when I moved up to high school, so did he. And so I continued to be sort of a, a mentor figure for me, um, in terms of, uh, helping, you know, he took me on my, uh, first, uh, you know, I was, I would herp around the neighborhood, you know, go to the vacant lots and, <clears throat> the woods and fields and things like that and find stuff. And that was fun. But he took me on a, 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 my first uh, field trip out into a cedar glade out in, you know, St. Louis County, further away from where I lived. In. And uh, I mean, it was one of those days, uh, hillside uh, next to the highway, and there were metal signboards on the hillside, you know, hmm. everybody out there is shaking their head going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Very nice. Tell me yeah. more. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we flipped these these big metal signboards and, and there were black rat snakes and there were speckled king snakes. And then I uh, also got that same day we got uh, uh, you know, like ringneck snakes and worm snakes and uh, my first redback salamanders and slimy salamanders and, uh, and, and later that day, two copperheads. So that's the stuff um, of dreams right there. 
Yeah, and uh, and so that was that was like a huge day, and that sort of that was sort of like the thumbtack on the wall, if you will. It's like okay, here we go. Um, and so you know, he really did a lot to any, you know, he did a lot about teaching me about the science behind it. I, you know, he was a science teacher, so you got the whole science lesson with it. It wasn't just a uh, blundering around, uh, ooing and eyeing over these cool animals. So you had a, you know, a walked away with a good understanding of where they fit in the natural world. And I learned about other animals and other other. Uh, you know, he, he taught zoology too, that sort of thing. So we learned about birds and yeah. things like that. Field trips to the uni uh, uh, University of Illinois at Edwardsville to see their, their collections and things like that. So there's a lot of science going on there, and I, 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 I can't thank him enough for that for that opportunity. So, But that first air trip, too, I should mention, too, was the first time, my first copperheads, there was a pair of them under a, a large flat rock, and uh, uh, picked up one of them. We, I, I, he showed me how to, to pin a copperhead with a with a snake hook okay and 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 then pick it up you know behind the head so i um so i got that out of my system really early <laughs> don't do this at home kids yeah so it was just like in you know the old conan's field guide you know mm -hmm. so but uh, you know so I, I got it out of my system very early on after you know it didn't take long i realized ah, i don't want to do that that's 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 not a good thing to do and it's not good for the snake and uh but yeah. uh, you know I, I did have the experience so I don't want to be one of those guys who who uh, who preaches like you know don't do this don't do that because you know I have done those those things as well so yeah sometimes uh, some people don't learn until they've done the stupid things even uh, yeah you know well I also we have the advantage them from that well yeah uh, but I also have the advantage of doing a lot of stupid stuff before the internet so <laughs> yeah. I still yeah. can't run for president but you know <laughs> for sure I'd vote for you but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I yeah I understand. And so when you were doing those those sort of herp trips, did you even like? Did you just did did you think of it as herping, or did you have a word to attach to it, or is it just I'm going to go out and find stuff, and it just happened to be that most of the stuff you were finding was the the scaly and the slimy stuff. We called it snake hunting. Okay, so it okay even that early. Yeah, there was there's no herping that that term did not exist. Uh, to my knowledge, that her that term well, it wasn't used by me, and I did not hear that term until I was an adult. Okay. Um, so that was we did uh, we did we went snake hunting. Uh, we hunted for snakes. And of course, like many kids, snakes were kind of the priority mm -hmm. animal. Um, but of course, I I quickly realized that I, I kind of liked them all. But but that was the term we used. And if you talk to a lot of the old timey guys. They also used the term collecting, would go collecting. Yeah. Um, even if they weren't collecting, they, they would still call it collecting. It's, these terms, they kind of stuck, you know. I've had some, some of the, some of the fellas I've had on the show uh, from back in the, the old days use that term. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I don't think they use it as much anymore. So I wouldn't dream of saying that now. <laughs> yeah. You know, really long time since I collected anything yeah. from the field. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess, uh, by the time I kind of came of age, that the, the term herping was al already there, and I probably couldn't have used snake hunting because I was no good at finding snakes when I was a kid. You know, growing up in Connecticut, it was uh, redback salamanders and and spotted turtles and stuff, but I could uh, I could barely find a snake to save my life. So yeah, I, I I hear you because I was not you know I didn't know much either. Um, 
I think it's also the age. It's tough for some things to sink in, like basic the basic processes of or the the basic knowledge about how how amphibians and reptiles function as organisms and their needs and requirements and you know so you know like I was talking about my first big trip with uh, Mr. Kreutzer and uh, flipping things, looking under things. Um, you know that was sort of the mm-hmm. a, another path where it's like oh look we look under things we roll logs we lift rocks um and we do it in places where they're likely to hang out so so that's a jump start too that kind of thing you have a, an, an adult who's been in, and of course donald kreutzer was uh quite the quite the fellow he was a school teacher and in summers off he would go to australia or other countries in south america and so that was kind of the other thing too he would he was a photographer so he would uh he would take pictures and then oh, school would be back in session. And after school, I would, you know, go see his collection of, you know, he had a big, you know, kept photos in a book back then. This is ancient times, folks. <laughs> uh, and I would look through all the, or he would show me slides, you know, and it was just absolutely amazing to see. Uh, like Amazonia, you know, pictures of anacondas and things like that. So, uh, so again, uh, sort of setting some, things in my head thoughts and goals in my head for later on so. yeah it's amazing how much the, the the sort of thought process and the paradigm can really shape how you hurt because i remember when i was a kid you know i was thinking okay snakes are cold-blooded so i need to go out like on the hottest days in the middle of the day like they're not going to be out unless it's 90 degrees out <laughs> so and 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 you know we you had that experience uh recently in uh in in Paraguay with 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 road cruising, I guess a lot of the local herpers there hadn't really heard of road cruising as a thing. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't think that was I don't think that was common um, uh, a common thing to do. So so we kind of you know, and now the man who brought road cruising to Paraguay <laughs> or Paraguay, if you will. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, as a kid, you're just kind of blundering around, and sometimes yeah. you get lucky and you find stuff. And sometimes that's not good because, you know, you might find something out of place or by sheer luck. And you, then you think you stumbled, a, a, stumbled across the, the formula or the secret and maybe not, you know. You yes. Have a dumb frog that's out in the sun or something. <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. So, uh, and we've kind of gone, gotten into it a little bit, but uh, so you, you, you started herping when you were 11 or so. Um, and, you know. You said 1973. Um, I'm not going to give everybody enough time to do their math, but uh, you've been you've been at it for a couple of years, um, and actually, I, I think it was 72. Okay, because this is my 50th year. Well, I mean, now you're just splitting hairs. Yeah, 50th year. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, 50th that's year. amazing. Um, how has how has herping changed over all those years? Well, now they call it herping. That's the first big change. Okay. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. How else? Um, well, I I think back. This is this is sort of a multi layered question. I I just uh, fished a, a bumblebee out of my juice here, setting free. Hope that didn't bump the mic too much. But anyway, um, back then you didn't know anybody else who did this stuff. Um, so I, I do, you know, like Donald Kreutzer, uh, my teacher. Uh, who is also buddies with some of the people at the zoo. 
uh, some of the curators at the zoo. He was like Ron Gelder. He was uh, they were friends, and so so I had chance opportunities to go to the zoo and uh, get behind the scenes tours and things like that. But there just weren't a lot of people around. You know, a couple guys in school that would go you know herping with. Um, but and that's sort of typical. You know, you know, it's not like by the time you get into your teens that you know the boyhood interests in in pollywogs and uh, bluegill and and going down to the creek that stuff sort of goes away in most kids <laughs> yeah. many kids but not you know not me and not, obviously not many other so kids. you're neotenic is what you're saying <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> oh um but uh so that was sort of the, sort of the loner thing and all the other kids in school thought you were weird um and and so there was that um there was also your parents who worry about you it's like why isn't this kid into baseball i like baseball but why was you know why isn't this kid into the n- normal things why what is there something wrong with him yeah what's wrong yeah. with poor mike yeah what's wrong with that boy <laughs> but uh so there's some of that too because it's this is back then it was not a a natural thing to be interested in um these days with all the entertainment channels we have and so so many kids grew up with you know steve Irwin or whoever um but he didn't have any of that so so i would go to the st louis herpetological society's monthly meeting at the st louis zoo and uh i can't remember what day of the week it was but i'd get on the hampton avenue bus before i could drive and take the bus all the way up to the zoo and then hang out at the meetings with uh, all these cool people we're into herps, uh, and for three hours, I would feel normal because I would be around other people who were in the, into the same thing. So it was it was a those things are bonding experiences because oh my gosh, there's other people who do this too, and of course back then it was people who did who like to hike and and find things and in, in, you know go snake hunting as it were, but there were also people who were doing captive bred stuff. They were breeding snakes and breeding, you know, whatever. And nobody knew how to do any of that either. So it was a big, you know, pioneer days for that too. Um, nowadays there's a, a recipe or a plan for breeding darn near everything. But back then um, there was a lot of big mystery about a lot of that stuff. So, so you were hanging out with people like that who uh, were, you know, interested in the same things you were. And so this was before kind of uh herpetoculture and field herping kind of diverged a little bit yeah even the word herpetoculture hadn't been invented yet that was uh that was to come along in the 80s okay so were the snakes uh and other stuff more plentiful back then was it was it better (sighs) well you you know i think so i think because you know obviously urban sprawl suburban sprawl or whatever you want to call it that has continued since then in, in that 50 years and there's a lot less places go a lot less habitat and uh um i would say so uh, there's there's this phenomena we call or this, this thing we call shifting baseline syndrome yeah um where you're used to x number of snakes or seeing x number of snakes on a trip you know when a previous generation that number was much higher and before then it was even higher so there's some of that going on too it's sort of um people think well there's you know Hey, we saw three snakes yesterday. What are you talking about? How could there be more? Or, you know, so there's people get used to declining numbers, and so I think that that might that's certain something I think about. You know, as we go along here, uh, and that come down to 
to places like this where the diversity is still pretty strong and there's not a lot of concrete and asphalt. So that kind of, I think that kind of uh, resets the dial a little bit um, yeah. in terms of herping. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you talked about like, uh, you know, having kind of a, a mentor who introduced you to this, this herping world. Um, have uh, you gotten the chance to to do that with with anyone of course you know everybody sort of sees you as the the herp godfather but like uh over the, <laughs> oh, <I hope> not. <laughs> over the years has uh you know are there anybody that stick out that like you really kind of took under your wing and you know you kind of showed them the ropes uh extensively um no i i wouldn't i wouldn't say extensively but i tried i i have tried to be a you know a friend to all um I've tried to not, because there's always the danger of being the know-it-all. Yeah. Uh, especially when, you know, you start getting up there in years. Um, nobody wants to hear about, nobody wants to hear from the, the old guy who's going to tell you how it was. And in my day, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants to be that. And I, and I, I never wanted to be that guy. But I, I, you know, always tried to be open to other people's experiences and um, and as helpful as I can. But not to anybody in particular i would say okay um but uh you know so with that uh going back to that shifting baseline thing that's that's part of the reason um perhaps or part of the utility of of herp mapper uh correct to to kind of keep track of that that baseline uh well yeah that's 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 part of it um herp mapper is just a, a data collection system that um, I've been a part of for, uh, for a while now, for the past nine years. But uh, that's, that's part of it because part of our, our people always say, well, you know, I, I just, you know, you just want me to put really cool or really rare things in there. Right. And I'm like, no, uh, we want you to put, you know, if you have a, a pond you go to every day and there's, there's toads in there, we want you to put some toads in there. Um, because we're also about the concept of keeping common species common, right? And so you need baselines uh, of, of what stuff is occurring where, even the common stuff. We need to know where the common stuff are now so yes. that we can keep the common stuff there in the future. So that is, that is sort of one, that is part of what Herp Mapper is there for. So it allows people to... Uh, just collect data on any any herb, and it's used in a variety of ways. But I, I like you know the fact that somebody's going to use all the uh, American toad species that I put in there, uh, maybe to for a conservation plan to help you know help uh, attractive land be managed efficiently for our uh, spadefoot toad or American toad or Butler's garter snake or whatever it is. So. Now I will say this in in relation to all that in terms of uh, herp mapper and whatnot, you are uh, definitely someone who practices what they preach in terms of when we're out there on the trail, even if it's just you know little Oreo babies and and whatnot, you're you're putting it into herp mapper yep. right away, which uh, which you know as a fairly disciplined person myself, and I don't do that, uh, I I can say that that takes a lot of discipline, so. Uh, you, you definitely deserve kudos for that. I'm co I'm committed. Um, I can I have probably 98 percent of every herp I've seen mm. is been vouchered. Yeah, I've missed a few. Can't help but miss a few, but 
nearly everything I've seen in the wild, every herp I've seen in the wild since 2013, September 2013 is, uh, I have a record for it. So, um, which, you know, it's, you know, which, which is a lot. I mean, I'm, you know, over, over 11,000 records. Uh, I was thinking about it today. It's like, wow, man, I've seen 11,000 herps in the 11, past for nine you. years. Yeah. Wow. Um, pretty cool. Uh, but, uh, so I'm sort of a walking, no matter where I go, I'm a walking herp survey. Um, and you know, I don't expect everyone to do that thing. I'd be fine if I could get a hundred people to put in 10 records, a hundred more people to put in 10 or 10 more people put a hundred more records in, but I'd be fine with that. And I, and I, I don't never pressure my friends, you know, but I'm the guy on the trip who does the herp mapping stuff. And a lot of my, my friends are on board with that. They'll, they'll, you know, Hey, they'll hold that. They'll, they'll hold the frog for me or the snake so I can get a voucher shot. So I create a record. Or, you know, they'll uh, send a, you know, they'll send me a photo over WhatsApp so I can make a record of it. You know, they might be 100 foot away down the trail and I'll get a picture of it and so I can still create a record for it. So very helpful with it. And I, I think they're, they're just happy that they don't have to do it and that I'm not pestering them. So, yeah, <laughs> as, as I think I've mentioned before, uh, you know, I've, I've got very few records in there to, to my, uh, uh, not my detriment, but uh, to, to to your credit, to, yeah, to my credit, <laughs> and, and that's uh, that's just because of the nature of you know working with them full time. It's it's like when I'm when I'm kind of herping for fun. It's uh, you know it 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 takes just that much more discipline, which which I tend not to have. But uh, I, I appreciate that you do it. I think the only person I've met who who does it on the same level as you is uh, Daniel Dye. Um, oh yeah, he does quite a bit too. He does quite a bit, and uh, so um, and there are some other ones out there too. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I just, dis- folks, but. I distinctly remember uh, road cruising many a time with Daniel. With you know, we're it's it's right on the the rush hour. You know, we're road cruising, and it's the first snake in the night. And it's like, all right, it's a neurodia. And he's like, hold on, let me put it in the database, and yeah, and then we yeah. keep on going. But uh, you know that uh, that stopping, you know, you, you would think that stopping like that would make you miss some stuff which it probably you know it probably does but still daniel and i have cleaned house quite a bit so it's not god man it's science we have to we have to (laughs) yes exactly so we get to the end of the you know if you don't make the record you get the end of the day and a year from now two years from now you don't know what you got so well that's the other thing too um uh you know this sounds starting to sound like a hurt mapper commercial but I can go back. I know. I know where everything I found over the past nine years. I know where it is. I know. Yeah. I can go right back to that spot, no matter what country, what it is. I have locales for every for the last for every one of those eleven thousand three hundred and whatnot records. Uh, I can go back there. Gone are the I, days of having to go and make a little star in your gazetteer, your Delorean. Yeah, I don't have to gazetteer. do that anymore. Yeah. There. I just have my phone. So. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. The, so it's a it's a useful tool, personal tool, as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. In some ways, the future is bright for for her pain. Yeah. Well, fortunately, so. I you know, I I do have the ability to adapt. I've always had that ability, and that's because I worked in IT research, IT I should say for mm-hmm. for so long. So I've learned uh, to see what's coming, adapt to it, and and. Uh, move on to the next thing so yeah for sure all right so uh what's your favorite group of herps you know snakes lizards amphibians uh, the 
salamanders, frogs. I, you know, it's pretty tough. I like them all. And, and that astonishes some people. They're like, wait a minute. You can't. That's not right. That's not right, Mike. You've got to like something better. I get that once in a while. But I, I it's very close. I would give the nod to snakes and frogs. Really? Those not, are, not, those not two tortoises. Were, huh? Not tortoises. Oh well, yeah, yeah. It's I still think snakes are still like many people. They're they're something. There's something um, difficult to define about the attractiveness uh, of snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get it. Um, but uh, man, you know, if I'm standing in a wetland. Uh, with my camera and a flashlight, and I a flashlight, and I'm photographing a calling frog. Um, I especially if it's in a, a country I've never been or a place I've never been, I'm so happy. That that just makes me happy. Yeah. Um, there's there's you know there's not much more in terms in in terms of all of this 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 herping thing this field herping thing. There's not much that makes me happier than that. Yeah. So, snakes and frogs. There, there's nothing like being in a, a frog course and it's just absolutely deafening and it's yeah. like just you know, all these all these animals singing around you. That's that's pretty cool. I think, you know, like spring peepers, you know, to especially when you get a pond and there's thousands of frogs calling. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's that day when they're just they're going for it, right? The males are all like, Let's do this thing. So, and it's just overwhelming, and they all have that that peep sound, and there's so much peeping going on, peep 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 peep, that it it starts your brain short cycles. It stops interpreting the individual calls, and it just sounds like it's and yeah. it's just it's just kind of a, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a weird. It's cool, but it's weird. At the same yeah, time. and it's it's great too to just introducing new people to that yeah like just it's yeah. it's like a whole whole new world they they didn't know about and and this is just it's it's a party going on <laughs> right yeah. there where you know it's just an unassuming pond wetland whatever and then it just comes to life one you know perhaps many magical evenings but you know oftentimes a couple of evenings a year when you get the good rains and it's warm and that's that's fun. Yeah, and you know a lot about yeah, I mean, because you're introducing students to this all the time, so you get it as well. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's worth the price of admission for sure. Uh, do you have a favorite species or two? That's always going to be tough too. It's usually the the there's always one or two cool things on a trip, especially when I'm going to a new place. You know, went to Greece. It's like, well, what am I going to pick from my trip to Greece? Shall I pick? Harman's tortoise or the Greek tortoise? Shall I pick Lacerda viridis, which the I owns? You know, or the Ohm, yeah. <laughs> um, things I've been looking at for the past fifty years in, in picture books and whatnot. And what? How do I decide which is a favorite? I always find a hard time with that question. What? What is your? Yeah. Your favorite, but uh, it's usually there's usually some thing that happened on the trip that makes something my favorite, and it may or may not be. Or herp. So, you know, like right yeah. now, the best moment from this trip was sitting down at the, down near the river, uh, taking a break on our, on our hike and watching the 
maybe 10, 12 species of butterflies puddling in the mud flats there. That was, that was an amazing 10 minutes. So, uh, so that, it, I think some of those things are tied into moments to, you know, that, that first, uh, uh, the, you know, uh, my gosh, the first, uh, four lined rat snake you saw, which was crawling across the road in front of our car in Greece. That was a, that was a big moment. So, so those things kind of shift and blur as you, as you move along and they're all, you know, part of the experience, which is, you know, another great thing about field herping is, you know, it's adventure travel and um, other things can happen that are cool too. Yeah, that that kind of brings up another aspect for it, uh, like you said with the butterflies, the, the bycatch. And I know you, as I am, uh, are big fans of of some of the bycatch that you can get. Yeah, uh, for me, um, I, I like uh, moths a lot. Really. Yeah, You're a moth, moth, man. moth. I'm a moth man. <laughs> hey, Jake Scott. I'm a moth man. What do you think? Um, yeah, I like moths a lot. Uh, butterflies too. Of course, I like butterflies. But I, moths are kind of the underrated uh, part of lepidopter. lepidopter but uh, there, there's much to appreciate there with moths, and I, I like them. And for a long time, I learned really hard uh, to know a lot of the North American species, and that's. Yeah, I just kind of just gave it up because there's only room for herps in my head. Uh, it's really hard to, what, I mean, it might push some, something out important like, you know, song lyrics from the 70s or, I don't know, what little Spanish I remember. So I'm kind of afraid to, you know, it just it just got difficult to do and, you know. You got to defrag your hard drive. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of afraid of that too. Uh, that, isn't that what they call an ayahuasca ceremony? <laughs> I was just about to make that uh, that same joke. So, uh, yeah. given given we're here in in the Amazon, and <laughs> that subject has come up once or twice on this trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I think the bycatch. Uh, it doesn't have to be other animals too. Uh, can be. Uh, you know, I'm also big into uh, you know, like when we went to Greece. So the the archaeology aspect of it was huge for me. Um, now. I like architecture. I like uh, old buildings. I like old old structures and things like that. So that kind of thing is interesting to me too. So yeah, you've seen some herps on top of uh, Machu Picchu, haven't you? Oh, we did. Uh, we got a, well, we got lizards up there and a uh, a viper. Oh, that's the, cool. um, oh, what was the name of that viper up there? First, I thought it was like it looks like a fur lance, but it's actually um, the local. It's like the what is it called? It's in both routes, but I can't remember the name of it, the common name of it off the top of my head. And uh, so that was a, that was a viper at, I want to say, 8,000 feet. Uh, so that that was pretty cool. It was very dark, of course. Most things are that live at 8,000 feet. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that, was, that was some cool uh, combination of, of ruins and, uh, you know, and herbs and too. And, and you know, we got a, a scalopperous uh, lizard on top of a, a temple, uh, the the great temple of, of Kalakmul, as it was, uh, down in uh, the southern portion of the Yucatan Peninsula. That was pretty cool to get life or a herb there on top of that. Uh, when you're high enough up on the pyramid that you're above the forest and all you can see is green trees everywhere, except for other little uh, pyramids stick, sticking out of the top of the forest. So this lizard lived up there. So that was that was a cool moment. It's pretty surreal. That's, yeah, that's uh, it's yeah for me too. It, it, it the species matters a lot of times, but like the 
the location and, and sort of the, the gestalt of the, the, of the circumstances yeah. kind of matters just as much. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I think for, you know, I, you know with the bycatch stuff, I, I think uh, dragonflies and damselflies for me are, are big ones. Um, mammals too. Mammals are always fun. They're hard to target and, uh, you know, I might, if I wasn't a herper, I might be a mammaler, but there's only like a dozen of those out there. Yeah, we were, we were talking about that the other day about, you know, how, how do mammalers, I don't know what, a, I don't know what they call themselves. Uh, mammaler sounds great. Maybe they don't, maybe they just could have sort of slink around incognito because they don't have a good name. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they have great t-shirts though, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, moving on. Um, so, so you, you, you kind of, you, you're, you're doing this thing for me. So I, I got to thank you for that. Cause you talked about we well, we're talking about favorite herp and bycatch and whatnot. And you talk about some, some, how a lot of times the, the bycatch is attached to the memory. It's, it's almost like a, an ecological experience where everything is connected. So can you think of like one of your favorite herping memories? Well, I just mentioned two. Uh, that were pretty good. Um, I'll, I'll give you. Um, I'll give you a recent. This is this is sort of thing that where uh, I, I'm at the point where and I'm not really bragging, but I am. But I'm at the point where you know I got a trunk full of those. Uh, how do you? How do you? You know, I can't rate those or order them one through ten or whatever. Can't do that. But I mean, recently, you know, we were in Greece uh, on top of a mountain way the heck up looking for these little vipers which we didn't find um because you know if it was easy all the kids would be doing it mm -hmm. uh so we didn't find the vipers but we were high enough there was snow uh, still on the ground and uh i managed to uh i visited a little alpine lake or a little pond actually um snow melting into it and there's still ice across the top of it and there were alpine newts in it and uh that was fun so i got to uh watch and to take some video of alpine newts uh males courting females and uh the newts just kind of swimming around uh, next to the shore underneath the surface in some cases underneath the ice so that was cool it was sort of like sound of music with newts so that <laughs> was a very cool nice. moment it's always fun when you come across something like that it's it's like you know these guys are just doing their thing that they've been doing for millions of years right. and and i'm just uh I was just getting a snapshot of it, and they're gonna keep on doing it when I'm gone, and uh, hopefully, yeah, you know, for a lot of the species. So that's yeah. cool. I think another uh, big one uh, was in Cuba. Mm. Um, and again, I'm, I'm name dropping again, but here we go. Uh, one night we walked the beach, and uh, there were green sea turtles coming up to lay mm. their eggs, and we got to watch a uh, a, uh, a big old green sea turtle. She'd already dug her nest. We got to watch her dropping eggs in the nest. So green seed uh, turtles, Cuban cigars, and mojitos, huh? Yeah, yeah, about that order. So, uh, That's so a good it was trip a, right there. Yeah, it was a great trip. So that was an amazing experience. And then walking afterwards, and she was done. We got we were allowed to take a picture at the end of it after she had filled in the nest. Uh, we were allowed to take a picture of her, uh, one picture for the group. So I got to take the picture, and it was mm. it was cool just to sort of snapshot the moment and then walking back down the beach to where we our car was you know there were more of these it was a dark night 
no, not, not really a moon or anything. So there are these more of these teardrop shaped lumps coming out of the ocean. And one of them crossed, we had to stop while well, one of them crossed right in front of us, you know, coming up to find her place to dig her, dig her nest. So that, that's one of those experiences that kind of, that'll stick with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I, I like to, I like to kind of hate on sea turtles cause they get all the love in the herb community, but, uh, they, they deserve it. They're, they're majestic animals. Yeah, indeed. indeed. For sure. Okay. So, um, here's a, here's a question from Rob Kreutzer. So thank you, Rob, for sending in a few questions. Mr. Smet logic. Yes, indeed. So if you could have one do over and it sounds like this is in with life in general. So, um, what would it be and why can be herp related or not? This is, you know, this, um, I'm sorry, Rob, but I really don't have a good answer for this because I think the things that happen to you are, are the things that shape you. Um, so suppose I could go back and do over something in my past that really didn't turn out well for me. Let's say, um, I might, you know, I might be an entirely different person. Because even even the you know even the crappy stuff that happens to you in your life shapes who you are and, and informs your future decisions. So so I like to think that uh, as much as I like to to uh, do time travel because you know that would be fun to do some time travel herping. Um, that was a question I'd answer, but uh, you know I really don't have a good answer for that. Uh, I I, was, I don't think I change anything because uh, for that for the the reason I named. So. If we could translate it for millennials, hashtag no regrets. Yeah, no regrets. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like you just invited that question. If you could try time travel to any quadrant of time in the history of our world or others, where would you go and when would you go and why? Well, this, this, is a, this is a question you have to think about, right? You can't just, I can't just blurt out, you know, America in, the, in uh, 1491. <laughs> because oh, then I could see all the herps as they were. You can like, meet all the Vikings. Yeah, but you you couldn't get around. Um, yeah, you know, you had no way to see all the herps. You had no way to get there. So you have to think about those sorts of things, right? So, so for me, I think the ultimate would be uh, I would like to go back to probably the 1940s or early 1950s uh, when there were good roads many good roads, uh, reliable transportation, and there's still, you know, bucketfuls of herps. And then, of course, I just sort of travel around the country, especially like the American Southwest, and, and, do, it, and do it that way. So, mm. uh, so that would be my answer. If you can get me, um, you know, uh, to that period of time in a re reliable sedan, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get some camping equipment and then uh, we'll take it from there. So that's uh, kind of the magic point where uh, the industrial revolution hadn't hadn't destroyed a lot of herp populations, but it had allowed uh, greater access to some yeah, of those. Yeah, uh, well, suburbia hadn't really happened yet, so there was still lots of uh, land out there that you know, not, not a lot of uh, roads and things like that yet. Uh, but uh, that that would be the best time in terms of seeing lots, being able to get around and, and see lots of, of herps. So I always think about too, you know. Before then, you know, the, the people that started herping, well, like, I always point to Raymond Dittmars, right? The, the, you know, uh, guy from the, the zoo in uh, in New York, uh, you know, 
Raymond Dittmars visited Snake, the Snake Road area. Um, you know, maybe not Snake Road, but the area around there, Murfreesboro and whatnot. So how did how did he get there? You know, nineteen hundred. Well, he, we didn't have reliable motor cars in nineteen hundred. Uh, how how did he do that kind of thing? Well, you have to take a train. You have to take a train from New York to mm. Chicago, or, or and then another train, one of the fruit trains, heading down to the southern part of part of Illinois, and then he'd have to hire a wagon or hire a a, a, a guy with the horses or. Or something like that. There was, you know, just not reliable transportation. And then these guys are all, you know, what kind of clothes did they have? Did they have breathable nylon <laughs> pants and shirts? Heck no. They had woolen slacks and three-piece suits. Three-piece suits. And, <laughs> and uh, they didn't have granola bars, uh, you know, or Powerade or, you know. They didn't have that kind of stuff. So it was really tough. Those guys are, are, are hardcore. They didn't have all the conveniences we have now. So. I would not want to take a time machine back that early because that would have been hard. Yeah, road cruising by horseback with like a, a yeah. lantern, you look like. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I see a copperhead. One if I land, two if I see. <laughs> yeah. So no. So that's my answer. Okay. So you wouldn't go. Uh, you wouldn't go back to dinosaur time. I guess you have to, the the you might be being be eaten yeah. issue there if you went you know yeah. hundred million years ago. Yeah, uh, or even to the Pleistocene. No thanks. I mean, you know, there's direwolves and short-faced bears. Speaking of which, yeah, short-faced bears. Uh, you don't no like thanks. bears, do you? No, I'm scared of bears. Okay. So that would be the worst bear ever. Uh, <laughs> but this is one of those questions that comes up, you know, around the campfire, which I like. I like to hear people talk about this kind of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. well, you know, it's like, or like the uh, what? What is the other? The uh, if you know the birders have the big year concept. Um, you know, and uh, so I've had a number of conversations with people around campfires and whatnot, and maybe online too, some about, you know, what a Herper's big year was. Say if you stuck, you know, just the United States and you wanted to have a big year, where would you start? Where would you be January 1st? Where would you be in February? You know, what would, what would it take to maximize uh, if you're trying to see all as many herp species in the United States as you could, where would it start? How would you do it? Where would you end up, and what would it cost? You know, I think it would be a little bit cheaper than for birders, though, because you don't have to waste money going to Alaska to, to find <laughs> rare herbs. It's like okay, I don't, uh, I don't know, but the problem is, is that you know the you know birders can see it from a hundred yards away mm. and put glass on it and go check. Um, where we we don't have that option, so. Um, but it, it, it would be a fun exercise and, and just, um, of course, I may not, you know, I mean, I have a home to come back to <laughs> <laughs> gone for an entire year, but yeah, you know, the, the big question I always, I always say, well, where would you be January 1st? And it's interesting to hear what people say, you know, that sounds well, like I, a, that sounds like a panel discussion episode right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to offer suggestions for episodes on, on your show, but I'm the host today. So I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> a herping big year panel discussion strategy session <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> put the brain trust together for that one, <laughs> absolutely yeah. just get the who's who together yeah. um yeah so so with uh you're thinking about it right now i i am <laughs> i am <laughs> i'll very, let you move on very much so no it's uh you know i'm actually listening to the audiobook of, of the big year at the moment oh are you and uh and so that's 
you know, there's so many parallels. And uh, I think the first time I watched the movie, The Big Year, with my wife, Becca, who is um, getting into birding, and I find that kind of concerning. But uh, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I've seen the smile on her face. She's really enjoying herself. So Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but uh, the, the first time uh, we watched that movie together, it's like, everything's made so much more sense to her in terms of like, you know, there's so many parallels there in terms of like, Oh, I know we had this thing we had planned, but the weather's right. You know, I've got to go and find that, uh, that, you know, whatever pine snake or. Well, the big year, I mean, it's not only you need the birding chops, you need to know a lot about birds, but you also have to be available, which means maybe you don't work which means maybe you've got some money uh, already. Uh, so that really kind of limits who can do these kinds of, of things, right? Because everybody's got to work for a living, and it's hard to do that stuff if you're paying a mortgage and putting yeah. kids through school. I want to talk more about this, but that's that's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, we... we uh... We have some history in terms of uh, we we work together to write uh, the field herping guide, and uh, I I can kind of speak for both of us when I speak to to that experience. We were thinking and talking a lot about where we wanted the hobby to go because we've seen some aspects of the field herping hobby that are are really good. They're great. They're positive, but then there are also uh, some more detrimental sides of the hobby that we wanted to try to gently steer uh some upcoming up and coming herpers away from so uh where do you want field herping as a hobby to go um well before before i answer that i I do want to say that uh when when you sit down to write essentially what is essentially the first book just about uh, the first how-to book. Um, I still can't believe we we scooped everyone. Yeah, but when you, when you sit down to write that, there's it's it's and I, I just made this point uh, a couple of weeks ago. I went to the Minnesota Herp Society and kind of talked to them a little bit about this, and you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, we kind of get to define parameters, we get to define terms, we get to sort of set the tone, yep. and and that's awesome. But that's scary. It's very right? scary because you you want to get it right. You're you're trying to you, you know uh, you don't write these books to get rich. If you do, you, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, stop. Um, <laughs> We're doing pretty bad at that. <laughs> but but it, there's a heavy responsibility in, in trying to put something together that that uh, a ten year old or a, the parents of a ten year old can use. Uh, to get them started in this, so, uh, so, so I think that you know that that sort of pressure was on our heads to come up with a a, a plan that gave people the the tools they needed to to get out there and and learn how to do this. And we, of course, we didn't write it for our friends, and our friends have all bought copies, and we're very grateful. Thank you all so much. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, we didn't write it for them. We wrote it for the the ten year old or the 10 year old's parent that's who we wrote the book for yeah um so it was kind of tough to to um make sure we get that right but uh as far as where the hobby uh call it hobby again uh where it goes and it's a really a recreational activity and we 
we talked about this before about calling it a hobby. Um, and it, it kind of it pops up. It, it popped out of your mouth earlier before we started the microphones, and it just popped out of my mouth. But but really, it's more of a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's collecting stamps is kind of a hobby. Um, you know, chips in a bottle that's a hobby. Uh, yeah, you know, you don't travel to Paraguay to put chips in bottles. I, I still uh, remember. I still remember one of the first trips I took with my mother-in-law and and my wife Becca and, and my family, and you know, we were some billboards down on the side of the road and making comments about it. And she turns to me and goes, "You can't turn that off, can you?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Can't turn it off. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, um, I've been doing this long enough. That I, 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 I guess I'll, I'll say, I think this hobbies, this thing, whatever you want to call it, is going in a good direction already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think that, because when I started doing this, it was just one or two weird high school boys. It was sort of the domain of the white kid, the white boy, you know, that was who did this stuff. Go to Snake Road, and I always use Snake Road as as a a useful cultural barometer. When I first started going there uh, on a regular basis in the mid '90s, since I've been there every year since 1994, uh, many you know many times and multiple times per year. But uh, you know, you look and see who goes there. And back then, you know, it was mostly dudes, you know, and they drag along the occasional girlfriend. And 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 so in the teens, in the you know early 2012, 2011. 2013, that time frame, things started changing dramatically. And and this this can be, you know, correlated in other interests in the natural world. The interest in, in outdoor activities and in nature study, birds, insects, herbs, it just exploded in the teens. I'm not sure why. I haven't really researched this to my satisfaction, but, but it exploded. Yeah. And, you know, subsequent trips to Snake Road, I started seeing... Women. I started seeing people of color. Um, I started seeing people of all t- sorts of, you know, minorities and, and, and all walks of life. Uh, and that just kept getting larger and larger. And there was this particular day there, and I, I have this slide that I, I use, and I, I just used it for the Minnesota Herp Society, and I call it the flip. And it's a picture, I think there's seven women in the picture, and there's one guy. And mm-hmm. seven women, uh, including my, my friend Jamie Cummings, are examining a water snake they're looking at a water snake and the guy in the picture is a boyfriend who got drug along <laughs> so it was like in that moment it was like it just sort of hit me like you know a two by four to the head it's like holy crap yeah this this thing is no longer the thing i did it is now a recreational activity for everyone it belongs to everybody it belongs to the people and everybody does it that is a great change to me uh, from Absolutely. you know from previously because it meant that we weren't being exclus- exclusionary anymore. Um, and you know, of course, you and I have many friends. We don't care when we're in the field with you. We don't care about your race, color, religion, politics. You leave that behind. That's not important. And so, I I just think that's great. To be able to and to be able to, to go on her trips with anyone from any walk of life uh, is to me that's just uh, that feels like we've we've arrived. You know, it's it's uh, 
a vastly different thing now here in the in the 2020s. Be able to enjoy critters that have been around longer than any sort of division that we've come up with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, so I'm in the middle of I've had a, a good seat for this. Yeah. You know, uh, not only just not only just because I go to Snake Row, but also as an admin, you know, for um, some field herping groups and being able to see who wants to come in that, you know, who wants to be part of the group that has just changed dramatically. Uh, so th those are the kind of changes that I've, uh, I've been uh, ecstatic about. Uh, and, you know, that's part of the reason why I feel like, you know, we needed to sit down and try to put a, a book together uh, to help those, you know, those people too. Because, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're coming from, some of them are coming from zero. They just have, you know, they have a 10 year old or maybe they saw a snake on TV and they, they want to know more about it and they want to try to get into it. So they, they don't have any, any clue. So I, th I thought that was, you know, good reason to, to do that. So, so where would I like to see it go? Uh, I just, I want more of that. I want that to continue. I just want it to keep mainstream, keep uh, being a mainstream activity and let that grow. And I'd like to see other people put out books. Like see, uh, of course, people don't read books the way they used to. Um, uh, you know, that's a different different thing with kids coming up. They don't are not really big book people. Uh, so maybe there's um, room for that in other channels, and that's why you know I'm interested in some of the things the videographers are doing. Like you know our our friend Rob mm -hmm. Smet Logic, uh, Rob Kreutzer, and uh, No Fields, and you know the Ketchup Brothers, uh, the Martino Brothers, and other people who are out there working to put together uh, not only fun adventure shows, uh, you know, cool things that are happening uh, you know, with herps, but uh, also some things that are, uh, you know, making it, uh, you know, highlighting the, the responsible aspects of it. You know, the, um, not necessarily, it's not all chills and thrills. It's also uh, being responsible in the field and that kind of thing. So yeah. learning about the animal. And so they, they kind of do that uh, as a, you know, they're not preaching or anything. They're just kind of doing that along the way as part of, you know, part of the show. So uh, a shout out to all those guys who are, you know, working in that field. Yeah. And, and I feel like uh, in terms of uh, respect for the animals, the, the, the hobby, the pursuit has, has come quite a far way as well. Um, you know, just in terms of people like, okay, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you should take extra care to make sure that this animal is going to be safe and that you're going to leave it in no worse condition than when you found it. Um, right. Cool. That so, was a long-winded answer. Hopefully I answered that one. Hey, well, I've got a good editor that's going to, uh, <laughs> that's going to make sure everything stays uh, clean and squeaky and, you know, however... He works cheap too. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's it's good to be in my position right now. <laughs> so, uh, moving on. So when I first met you, you know there was a, a gaggle of people, you know, my age at the time, so early twenties and a little bit younger, who who referred to you as the Mike Pingleton, and they did that. Because you were you were kind of famous, infamous, as having the first field herping website, predating <laughs> even field herp form. So yes. can you can you tell me a little bit about that and in your contemporaries, perhaps? 
Um, yeah, I talked about this a little bit on a show I recorded with uh, our friend John Sullivan. Okay. Who is another what I call um, internet hurt pioneer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so John was there from the start, too. Um, I, I worked at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications at the University of Illinois. Uh, we did uh, uh, research computing with high-performance systems. Everything we ever had in, in this job I had was cutting-edge, bleeding-edge technology. We never did anything with off-the-shelf products. And so that sort of uh, sets the tone for how the organization operates. And this is a long way around here, but it, it, it makes sense when I finish up. But uh, So we're always throwing out the old and adapting to new ways of doing things quickly. Uh, and so in uh, 19, I also have, it also happens to be the place where the first web browser was invented, which is called Mosaic. That was invented at NCSA by a couple of grad students who um, later became rich and famous because of it. But that's another long story. But uh, so anyway, uh, we started getting a lot of attention about this web browser, Mosaic, and the World Wide Web started taking off, uh, offering, which is offering uh, another opportunity for folks to be online in a different way from like simple computer bulletin boards and things like that. Uh, so we were encouraged to learn how to use the World Wide Web as part, you know, by our director, you know, play with it. This is, you know, this is his direction. Play with this, learn how to, to use it, make new things with it, uh, use it. So we did. So, uh, you know, one of the things I did as part of my job was, um, uh, I wrote a lot of procedures documentation, which we used to keep in a three-ring binder. So uh, we, I learned how to put all that stuff into HTML and, and made web documents of it. So we, all of our procedures documentation was web pages. So I thought, well, this is cool. I'm going to make me a, a you know web page about you know herbs. So I, that's where I started. Uh, uh, this had been February. I think it's February of '93. I right? my first page came up. Uh, Mike's page, real, real uh, original Mike's page. Uh, but that was back in the day when, you know, people were adding websites maybe ten or eleven a day. So very, very early on in the in the history of the web. So I, I but I, I realized there were other people out there who were sort of poking at it a little bit too. So I, I'm not going to claim I was the very first because I don't know for sure. But I, I know at a when I first got started there were two other websites. There was a guy, I think his name was Paul, and he had a web page about his pet anole. He had a Carolina anole. So he had a web page about it with pictures of, I can't think of now, Stinky or whatever the anole's name was. And it was like, oh, this is pretty cool. It, yeah, you know, the concept of, you know, oh, you could upload pictures and do these multimedia things. So this, this is all brand new. Nowadays, people do it in their sleep and third graders do it for reports. Back then, this is all new. Yeah. So, so I started putting this web page together. And oh, the other person out there was—I'll uh, leave her name out of this—but she was a she lived in Colorado. She was a belly dancer, and and she had pictures of her and her, you know, her cool belly dancer costume, you know, and with her with her with her python that, that she would do belly dances with, you know, belly dancer and computer programmer, evidently. I yes, she was at the University of Colorado. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah. And so that was, you know, obviously she had a leg up on some technology too, but she also, it was really, it was very cool. Yeah. Was oh, that was a like, dancing joke there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so that that was the, the three of us that I knew of, and and then very shortly after, more started being added. And it wasn't maybe maybe later that year, or early the next year, I think uh, Kingsnake.com came around. It started taking off a little bit, um, but uh, yeah. So it was kind of weird to be there in the beginning when there wasn't much, and I just at first it was like, well, I put a picture of it of a, a snake. Then I started put, putting pictures of my own uh, snakes I would find in the field. You know, take pictures of them and. Uh, of course, back then, you just, you know, you didn't take pictures on your phone because we didn't have smartphones. We didn't even have cell phones then. You know, cell phones were just coming out then. Yeah. So it was a much different world, you know, scanning in photos and uploading them and, you know, building HTML code around them. So I learned a lot of skills doing that. And, uh, uh, and in 1996, I started putting uh, field trip reports, you yeah. know. So I would, you know, bunch of pictures right out, you know, we went here and look, we found this, we found that. And there are all these, you know, pictures that were 250 by 250, very small <laughs> because there's no room and there's no storage and there's no network. So but that's how we did it. And of course, like my buddy, John Sullivan and other people were getting involved and John put his life list online. So that, you know, we were sort of uh, internet pioneers uh, at that time with uh, Herbstow. So. Superlogical cowboys. Yeah. And so, you know, we got to know, uh, uh, a lot of people that way and uh, you know you get to people you know uh, would read my trip reports I'd hear from people and they thought it was really cool and so it, we were actually blogging before blogs had been invented and of course blogs are like nobody blogs anymore it's like ancient technology but you know well that's because nobody has time to read anything that's so, true so uh, are these are these still available somewhere? Is there like an archive.org or something where you can see like the 1995 Mike Pingleton trip report <laughs> yeah. to Snake Road? Yeah, they're out there. I think uh, Pingleton.com, I think they're out there. I think you can still get Okay, them. so they're still on there. Nice. I, have to, I haven't checked in a while. I think what, they're still out there. When did you start the uh, hot stove herping? Oh, so hot stove herping was something after was after field herp forum came along and of course okay. field herp forum was sort of this high-powered bulletin board uh what they call bulletin board uh style forum shout out to scott waters yeah uh yeah much peace scott thank you uh and so everybody would you know for at the time they were around uh, between four and five thousand people uh doing this and they were posting trip reports and the you had to go through a lot of hoops to get pictures posted on there to, to go with your, your words. And then in the wintertime, we'd get bored because, you know, the only people who were, were out herping were, you know, in the southern hemisphere. Uh, so I decided that I would, I would um, put together something I called hot stove herping. Of course, the hot stove herping comes from baseball, the hot stove league. And that's, you know, where, you know, guys sit around in the wintertime and, and uh, talk about baseball and what's going to happen next year and what happened in the, you know, so it, that's the hot stove league, right? It's winter. There's snow up to the window and you're sitting around, you know, in the general store in front of the old hot stove and, and talking about, you know, whatever. So that, that's, you know, very archaic terms and hard for people these days to understand. Any of that. But, but that's where the term hot stove herping would be comes from. And then I would put together posts like uh, just basically try to hit people over the head with pictures and uh, put a bunch of cool pictures of things I did that year. And I might divide it up into two or three posts, you know, hot stove herping part one. And then that would, that might be uh, a trip to Peru or a trip to Arizona or something. Mm -hmm. And then part two would be this, and, you know, bam, 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 and put them all out there. And then, then 
you know, other people kind of started doing the same thing. They didn't use the term, but, uh, you know, kind of spurred other people to do the, the like same the end of year thing. report. Yeah, is kind of. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that was a that was a fun time in in herping history. Yeah, where those were a thing, and you could yeah. just because uh, you were bored and uh, yeah, I, see. I still I still do hot stove herping. Yeah, except it it all goes to fieldherping.org. Okay, which is um, take a quick right. break for the birds Crackles. here. Uh, which. Fieldherping.org, which is my, my blog. I use a, a WordPress blog to, to do the hot stove harping now. So I've got some stuff up there. So. Excellent. Cool, cool. Yeah. We've got feathered herps. Uh, yeah, the grackles all start congregating in that tree this time of the day. Yeah. Um, so uh, I want to move it a little bit away from herping, maybe. So, uh, you know, you, you talk about herping as... It's not really a hobby. It's kind of a lifestyle, kind of a pursuit. But it's also possible to have other interests. Do you have any other interests, Mike Pendleton? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think um, I, I'm interested in, in many things. Um, it's hard to it, it's hard to put them above this. This is sort of been, I, I think in the mid '90s I sort of made a conscious decision that this is. The field herping would be something I spent much of my free time doing, and it's kind of been that way. But I, I have other interests too. I, I enjoy. This is gonna sound crazy, but I enjoy home remodeling. Uh, yeah, I enjoy the heck out of this stuff. You know, I put a roof on my house. I've done plumbing. I've done uh, laid brick. I poured concrete. I, I redid, redid our whole kitchen. Do electrical work. Do the whole thing. Uh, so I enjoy that. Uh, quite a bit, and so I have, you know, we have a, uh, we have a hundred-year-old farmhouse, so uh, there's always something that has to be uh, done on it, like you know, the garage needs a new roof, so I'm gonna have to get around to that. So, so I, I enjoy working with my hands and, and um, you know, making old things new again. So that's that's a big one for me. Um, you know, of course, uh, I, uh, I I like uh, like reading and writing. I you know enjoy writing. I used to write a lot of poetry back in the day. Um, that's kind of taking a backseat here, but, uh, uh, I'm also interested. I like creepy stuff. I like creepy stories. Uh, I like, uh, you know, like ghost stories. I like, uh, I like the, um, uh, the, the cryptid stuff. Uh, I, I, that's, I think those things are interesting, whether, whether, you know, it's not about believing in that kind of thing. It's just that the stories people tell or the, you know, I think that comes from, you know, when I was a kid, my mom was, uh, used to read to us a lot and she would read some you know, creepy, you know, sort of toned, watered down, creepy ghost stories for kids, you know, and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of grew up enjoying that. So I, I like hearing uh, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, uh, everybody knows I wear a Mothman hat in the field because Mothman is my favorite, you know, crypto, my favorite crypto animal. Um, you know, it doesn't mean, <laughs> doesn't mean I, you know, waiting around for Mothman to come visit me or anything, but, but I just like, I love all the stories. I just think those things are are interesting to uh, to listen to, and you know, um, you know, anything along that line, whether it's you know saucers in the sky or you know ghosts in your closet, what it's all interesting to me. So yeah, so uh, I mean, being a hurt person, probably like Nessie or Mokeli and Bembe are your favorites. <laughs> or... <laughs> oh, I think the ship has sailed on on the Loch Ness monster. Yeah, unfortunately. 
I think that, that that was a good story. But it's a good rip-roaring story, though, right? Uh, Absolutely. Monster in the Lake, which, you know, it's been done over and over again. Uh, Michele Bambembe, uh, oh, what's the one, Lake Champlain. Uh, yeah, Champy, yeah. Yeah, so uh, also in the movie with Betty White, what was the, uh, oh, shoot, the... Uh, um, oh, uh, Lake Placid? Lake Placid, yeah. yeah. So you have all these, you know, the thing in the lake movies are are great. So uh, I, I like those stories, too. So uh, giant sea serpents and the krakens and things like that. That stuff is just awesome. Yeah, that certainly resonates with me being a you know, freshwater ecologist. Yeah. It's like you want to believe that there's... You could find anything in there. Someday a giant tentacle will come out of the water and grab you. <laughs> yes, yes. Until then, it'll be mostly... Uh, bullfrogs and uh leopard frogs but right. uh someday <laughs> yeah and yeah and and so i like those stories and i like the i, I have a few creepy herping stories a few things that have happened along the way and so i, I decided to do a uh uh a creepy weird unusual herping thing uh a story uh show i've been gathering material for so if uh, you got some kind of weird weird thing that happened to you uh get in touch with me because i'm Still collecting those for uh, for Halloween this year. So yeah, absolutely. I would uh, let me just put another plug for that. If you're sitting on the fence, like oh, you know, uh, I'm not sure if this would be good enough or whatever. Like we we just uh, I I think I as a listener, I I just want to hear them all. So because I've I've you know my my herping has been pretty normal. You know, these birds are going crazy over there. My uh, my herping's been pretty normal in terms of. Uh, you know, I've I've never been abducted. Uh, well, <laughs> well, well, yeah, that I know of. You know, lost some time in there, but uh, you know, other than that, I've seen. You know, uh, I've seen uh, panthers and pumas and that sort of thing without herping, but nothing, uh, nothing inexplicable, which has happened to some other people. So I can't. Uh, yeah. I cannot wait to hear that episode. So yeah, I've got a couple great stories. I've got one from Jake Scott that I call the man who wasn't there. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. I can't That's wait. And, and you, you talked with him for it like you have him on. It's not just you telling his story. It's him. No, no, I talked to Jake about okay, that. Okay, Jake one. Jake is uh, he's one of my favorite people to hear on the podcast because uh, yeah, he's Jake. Too. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good story. So, And I've got some other ones too. So Excellent. So, it doesn't have to be like a ghost story or alien abduction. It could be something, just something weird or... Some scary thing that happened to you that turned out to be something not scary or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so if you got them, yeah. email Mike. <laughs> um, so uh, let's let's switch it up a little bit here. I, I interspor- uh, interspersed a few of uh, Smet Logic's questions in here. And uh, so you're talking about all this time you spend herping and, and all the stuff you do. Your wife is a saint. <laughs> And so, so tell us about your wife, and how long you guys have been together. How did you guys meet, um, and why she hasn't killed you yet? Um, uh, yeah, uh, I'd love to. Uh, she, uh, her name is Nell N E L L, and uh, she's uh, she doesn't do this stuff. That's person. She's not. She's not really an outdoors person. Um, and but she's okay with me doing it um so you know we have this sort of uh, relationship uh, uh where we we pursue our own interests we don't try to get in each other's way with the things in life that we're interested in uh, which i think is healthy and i think that that's you know i was here to you know the herbert bros say 
they always lament, you know, I want, a, I want a herper. I want a girlfriend who's a herper. He's like, well, maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe what you really want is a partner um, who, who uh, appreciates what you do, but also has, you know, their own interests as well. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we're at. And it's, uh, we've been together. Uh, we just had our 29th uh, wedding anniversary in May. And uh, uh, so we're working on our 30th year now. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm, uh, yeah, and I, I met her, uh, she actually worked for me uh, back in the, way back when I, uh, I ran a pet store for a short period of time. And, uh, okay. and uh, she worked, she was one of my part-time employees. So that's how we kind of uh, got to know each other. So Wow. That yeah. sounds like a movie that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. So she's, uh, so she's into... Or did she just need the job, or did she just think you're cute or something, or she, what? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> she liked she liked animals. She's really cool with you know she's she's an animal person. Okay. Uh, especially cats, but she's an, an animal person. She's not afraid of snakes or anything like that. So it's just not her, her thing. She's not uh, uh, an out really an outdoorsy person. So which is which is fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so it just kind of you know that's where it came from. So. I always thought, you know, when she started out, I thought, well, this, there's a, look at this, this gal's really attractive. I thought, you know, you know how it is. But uh, we got to know each other a little bit, and so it just went from there. So Yeah. You know. All right. Well, shout out to Nell for uh, letting Mike have all this time to do your, your, your podcast. So if you're listening and you're enjoying the podcast, thank Nell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's been, she's been really good about uh, making room for this. Because, you know, this... Uh, there's no denying I, I, I'm a person with a big exterior life, uh, and and I have for a, for a long time. It's just you know life is just big for me, mm-hmm. um, and and so she's really made that you know made room for that. So you know I'm I'm grateful. You know I can't say it enough. I'm grateful. Yeah. So weren't weren't you recording these in her office, or she was recording in your office for a while? Or oh, and co- I had an office, and then COVID hit. <laughs> and she had to come work from home. Okay. Um, and she worked from home for eleven months, so I, I still needed a place to record shows. But the you know downstairs didn't have anything proper, you know, ground floor of the house. So I ended up in the basement. So um, I did all the re- or at least thirty something shows from my washing machine. So I that's, that's up, great. Uh, Just uh, herper podcaster in their basement. At least it's not. Your mom's basement. Yeah, it's You're recording episode. My own basement, people. So back off. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So yeah. So and then uh, once she went back to work, then I moved back upstairs and uh, and I was able to actually set up uh, some recording uh, equipment and and some soundproofing material to actually make it sound pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Definitely good audio quality on your show. Uh, so well, thank you. I worked hard to get it up. At first, it was kind of rocky, but uh, that's just a learning phase. And and uh, I was also kind of uh, pro. I had didn't have good internet connections, uh, so I had yeah. to get that upgraded to make it work better. So well, you have to develop the ear for that sort of thing. Like you, you know, you, you think the first couple. Uh, I feel like with a lot of shows, the first couple episodes, you listen to them, it's like, oh, this isn't bad. Then as the show progresses, the audio quality and, and mixing gets better and better. Then you listen to one of the first episodes is like, oh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't yeah. want to go back and listen to those. I was going to say, I, I have not gone back yet, but I really should because uh, Mike Rochford was episode number That's a good two. one. 
was a very uh, good the big one. the big regret I have is I think it's episode eight. I think the one I did with Nick Markmeyer. Oh, okay. Um, oh yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> hit you on that. Uh, the one I did with Nick Bergmeier about Hellbenders, the audio quality was, was not good. And that's not mm. Nick's fault. Uh, it just wasn't good. And I would really love to... I might go back and try to remaster that one because I have better skills now. Um, and again, that's, um, you know, something uh, that had to come with... It's like, I shall now do a podcast. Bing! Mm-hmm. And then your podcast... It's not like that at all because, I mean, unless you're wealthy and you can pay somebody else to do the editing... Uh, you have to learn new software, mm-hmm. new skills, new terms. You know, it was like you know dropping a whole new gig into my lap. So, so there's a learning curve there. So. Yeah, I uh, in terms of the uh, you know investment versus reward, uh, it, it's definitely uh, I can see this is for you. Uh, you know, almost an act of service uh, in a lot of ways. So I know the the herping community really appreciates that because I know. Myself and, and many another herper have uh, benefited from, you know, going road cruising and having a so much pingle to listen to. And then, you know, you just sort of get amped up. It's like, oh, they're talking about hellbenders or mud snakes or something. It's like, all right, let's find something cool tonight. And you stay out that extra hour. And <laughs> I don't know if I can attribute any yeah. great find to so much pingle, but. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I, I, I do picture my audience out in a car somewhere. Mm hmm. That. That was sort of my goal. It's like, that's what I wanted it for. I wanted, because that's when I listen to podcasts. I'm driving somewhere, long yeah. distance trip. I'm listening to the podcast. And so what better way to, to listen to a herping podcast than while you're road cruising? So I just pictured yeah. everybody's road cruising, which yeah. is, is not true, obviously. But that's the sort of the cattle, uh, the, the reason behind doing it that way. But yeah. Um, and I knew, you know, it's like, well, you know, right away, it's like, well, what, what is the channel? Is it is it field herping? Let's do a field herping podcast. You know, mm-hmm. Then I thought, no, we need to do a herpetology podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we want we want the field herpers. We want I want the herper bros, as I call them on the show. Dude bros, dude bros, dude bro, dude. Mm-hmm. I want those guys on the show uh, and gals, uh, but I also want the scientists. I want the, I want the the research people. I want the biologists. I want the conservation people. I want the students. I want the artists. I want everyone. Yeah, all walks of life, um, all persuasions, all races, colors, and creeds. I want them all on the show because that's the community now. Yeah. So I'm working on that. You know, uh, obviously you you don't want to. What what is the word? You don't want to. You know, you don't want to do any virtue signaling. Look at this. We got. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But you definitely want to make sure that you include as many voices as you can on the show. So. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, going back to that, uh, you know, talking about picturing people listening to the podcast while road cruising or whatever, we really lucked out in terms of methodology that, like, you know, I've had a chance to introduce uh, dozens and hundreds of people to kind of road cruising as a method. We, lo- we lucked out in that, that, like, it's such a community-building aspect. Because, like, it's when you're on the trail, as as you know, it's, it's mostly, you know... If you got newbies with you and they're talking too much, it's like, okay, shut up and look. But yeah. <laughs> uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But uh, but but road cruising, it's it's like this communal aspect because you're all there and and you're um, you know you can fit four to a car or if you've got you know sometimes even more. I've I road cruising fifteen passenger vans all the time, 
and you can listen to music or you can listen to a podcast and you t- can talk about things and process things and you can have the air conditioning like it, it feels like, uh, you know, but, uh, but then you're also seeing the animals, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, as terrible as roads are for herp diversity, you know, there are some silver linings and I would say road cruising as a, as a method of herping and, and, you know, I'm sure other birders and whatnot kind of use it too sometimes, but we we revolutionize that. That's that's our thing. Yeah, and it's a, it's really also a social activity. You know, you get in a car. Maybe you're getting in a car with somebody you don't know. It's your first, you're you're on a herp trip, and there's some new there's some new people, and it's like, oh well, come on, you guys come with me, and then you spend the next three hours talking, and so you get to know each other, and uh, so at the end of the of the experience, uh, you you've got new friends, uh, or maybe. You're in the car with old friends, uh, and you never talk about herps at all. Yeah. Um, you talk about your, your other interests, and that happens uh, occasionally, too. But it's it's the there's a social aspect to road cruising. Uh, it, road cruising by yourself kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. But if you have people in the car, uh, it, it's, it's nice. You can fight over what's good music and, you know, that and- kind of thing, and... Uh, and it's in, in our kind of day and age, it's kind of unique because, you know, back you know, a thousand, two thousand years ago, you gather around the fire for hours at the end of the night and you talk. But uh, we don't really do that anymore. You know, there's there's very few circumstances where it's like, OK, you got to drive an hour and a half to get to this place to go road cruising. We're going to drive around in circles for two or three hours and then we're going to drive back an hour and a half. So, you know, you got six, seven hours. What when what other times does the average person say, let's spend seven hours together just talking? well like you you know for me you know i pitch that to my friends you know they might start looking at me a little weird yeah hey you want to go sit in the car and talk (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so So um, road cruising is the excuse that makes that palatable so would you would would you say that's your your favorite like field herping method you think i i guess i sort of led this conversation but you know there's definitely virtues to it uh, it's, it's not my it's not my favorite because i have a short attention span okay it, it, it's fine if i if we're talking if i got people in the car and we're talking about some interesting things that's fine um but i'm not the guy who's going to be out there till three in the morning okay you know at, at midnight i'm like eh, i gotta go looking at my watch <laughs> um and there's been times when i've been like let me out we've done this stretch of road five times let me out. I need to be out of this car. Okay. And they'll let me out and, um, and I'll, you know, catch me on the next go round because I need some fresh air and I need, I need, to, I, I'm, I need to not hear you guys for a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's not totally my favorite. I, you know, I still like the hike stuff. I like, uh, as I mentioned before, I like, you know, uh, visiting wetlands and listening to frogs or looking for salamanders and stuff. So, so I think, you know, the hike them up stuff is way up there for me. Okay, cool. Very nice. Yeah, and you were uh, you were fun to have along when we were doing uh, field work just this past April. Um, you know, checking the traps and whatnot too. So that was. Yeah, um, let me let me let me uh, modify that a little bit. I also like that when I'm with uh, biologists like you and other people. I, I spent some I spent some really quality time in the field with biologists. Um, you know, such as yourself, but many other, mm-hmm. uh, Emily Taylor, Savannah Weaver, Katie Rock, Bob Hansen, 
uh, I'll, I could go on and on and on. Uh, those are some recent ones, but just getting to number one, getting to know them, but seeing the work they do. Uh, and I don't mean to leave anybody out of this. These ones that come float up to the top of my, of my consciousness here, but just seeing what they do, how they do it and learning the methods, what the, you know, what they're up to, how they got into this, um, that kind of stuff is, that's great to me. Um, uh, just getting a peek into people, people are out there trying to save the world, you know, in, in a way. And, uh, and, you know, people that are sleeping in their cars and, you know, they're eating really crappy food for a week and sleeping on the ground or whatever. So people are really dedicated to understanding nature and protecting nature. And, and so those, those folks, uh, I respect them, but I also love hanging out with them. You know, I went, like you say, I went out with you and your group and doing some, you were doing some wetlands, uh, studies for, uh, seeing what, what you, what you could get in, in terms of trapping, you know, not just herbs, but it was, you know, yeah. Community ecology. Community ecology. Yeah. So it was just fun to, to do that, to participate and, and to, um, uh, uh, because I, you know, my career was IT. I wasn't, you know, I didn't do that for a career. So it's just great to, to get insights into that and learn more. I learned a lot from those trips. So, mm, absolutely. So, so, uh, so while we're on that topic of, of con- conservation and, and whatnot, you, you do go out with these these uh, these herpetologists and and biologists who are doing these sort of measurable things to hopefully save some of these species that are in trouble. What do you think, uh, like your 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 Joe Herper uh, or Jane Herper, can do to help conservation? Like, what what can can your average Herper do to make uh, the chances of you know your your local species of salamander or snakes or turtles survive? Do you think? And and you know, I, I hate to put you on the spot with that in terms of you know you're you're not a conservation biologist, but you do have kind of a 10,000 foot view because you get to talk to so many biologists and, and, uh, and other professionals and, and, and you're kind of, you're one yourself in terms of, uh, getting out there and getting in the mud and finding this stuff. So what do you think? Like it's, it can be tough to, to get involved, but I think getting involved, how do you do that? That's, that's kind of a big question. How do you, it's like, well, you know, Hey, Pringle, how the hell did you do that? I mean, how did how did you get to the point where you can go out and, and hang out with these people? Um, and I don't, I, you know, that didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen because I have a big mouth. Um, it's just something you build on. Um, you know, people start out by uh, doing things like uh, bio blitzes, um, showing up for bird counts. Um, Things like that. You start. You have to be able to or willing to talk to other people and find out what they're doing, and and look for opportunities where you can say, "Hey, you know, do you have any? Do you need an extra hand with that? Could I help pull traps? Could I, you know, could I see what you do?" And and uh, normally those, you know, that's the sort of thing that you know you, you have to get involved to have those things come up, and you, then you have to ask the right re- questions. You have to make a request and show that, you know, you're generally interested and you want to know more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to make a career in biology to do that, but, but, uh, you know, those are, those are important ways to do that. Um, also, I, I think, you know, uh, 
interacting pe- with people in on social media, you can hang out and learn from scientists on social media. You can get on Twitter and find and do what I call science Twitter. You can follow various scientists and then um, ask them questions. They're not afraid of, of, of answering your questions. Um, those are places for opportunities too. And get involved with your local. If you have local conservation organizations. Get involved with them. Do their field trips. Do the you know. Get out there with the Sierra Club or your local Audubon chapter. Uh, just don't become too big of a burger. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. It, it, those are opportunities. You have to you have to sort of get involved and then and then um, be willing to to have those conversations and you know ask if you can help. So I think that's a good way to get started. So yeah, absolutely. And having. Well, yeah, uh, you know, having the extra help in the field is always uh, necessary, but um, you know, it can be easy to forget that that uh, you know you don't have to be a professional to make a positive impact with this. I, I mean, when you look at like true Darwin, I mean, gosh, Dar- you know, he was just he was a ship's naturalist. He was just sort of he was traveling around to yeah. keep keep the captain company sort of deal and and spending his dad's money. Yes, for the longest time, it, this this was a pursuit of uh, of people that had the money to do so, and 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 obviously that's that uh, that might not be your situation, but but you can do a lot in your free time, um, w- which is pretty neat, and and uh, see, so, so I wouldn't, you know, if you're if you're out there and you're not a professional, I wouldn't let that hold you back from trying to have a positive impact on conservation if you get there and, and some professionals like oh you can't you can't help because you're 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 not a professional then uh i'm gonna go ahead and go out on the limb and say they're wrong they are wrong and um that's another thing i try to keep my eye on is bridging the gap um between and, and this is not that is not so much a problem as it used to be it used to be the ivory tower academic thing uh was a big deal um but it's not so much anymore uh, and I think it's because I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and live here and say I think uh, people like Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, and other television personalities that were on in the early aughts, the first decade of this century, did a lot. They created a lot of biologists. Yep. And those biologists, whether they're you know Harpers or whatever, those biologists didn't forget their roots. They didn't forget the things they learned from Steve Irwin, which is to appreciate nature and then put it right back where you found it. So there's that mentality. And so those people didn't tend to sort of get bottled up in this this whole rigid structure of, well, we do these things because we are part of, you know, academia. And, well, you're not, so you can't do that. Those people didn't forget their friends, you know, who also... We're, we're enjoying, you know, steed or or field herping or whatever. So there's, I think the, the gap has kind of been bridged there. And, and so that's kind of the thing I, I try to look at, you know, in, in my whole approach to like podcasting is, is that there is no gap because I, you know, I'm t- this week I'm talking to a scientist who studies frogs. And next week I'm talking to, you know, a guy who does YouTube videos. Next week I'm talking to you or Dr. Alex Crone. So, you know, it's, it's, there's no gap there. It's every, we're all in the, you know, there's plenty of room under the tent for everyone. And I think we all have to, you know, make that happen. And uh, if we, if we 
move forward that way, you know, it, it helps to keep, keep those barriers down. I think. So, yeah. Um, so I've met so many biologists who that they don't, they don't care if you're not a biologist. It, that just doesn't seem to be the big thing it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's spot on. And, uh, I, I think you're right in terms of those, those sort of nineties, early aughts, uh, TV presenters who, in some cases, like Steve Irwin, weren't really biologists, but they they sort of opened up to everybody. And kind I, of, I should mention um, his wife too, uh, Terry. Terry, Terry. Absolutely. I mean, you know, so she's another f- inspirational figure there as well. And now they're kids. Yeah, yeah and they're kids. So and that a, continues. So. Shout out to Marco Shea as well, who was uh, was always my favorite because. I could identify very much with him because he would go out half the time and he wouldn't find what he was looking for, and that, that just that resonated <laughs> with me. You're Shout like, out to Mark. I need to get try to get Mark on the show because I that, think he'd be great. That would be that would be amazing. Uh, I've I've had some exchanges with Mark on like Facebook and whatnot. Uh, really nice guy. Really really wanting to, um, you know, be involved in, in helping helping come in herpers and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, he's so, a good fellow. Yeah, so thank you for being out there, Mark. Um, so, uh, all right, we'll, we'll do. Uh, I've got one last MetLogic question, then then a couple of short ending questions, and so you can take this one where you would like it. What three life philosophies do you try to live by? Oh boy, yeah. Um, wow. Uh, well, I think um, I, I think the first thing is uh, if I, if I go with anything anything at all, Taoism um, informs a lot of my philosophy in life. Um, you know, I, I like um, I, which is the reason I, it's it's hard for me to do the show because I like to sort of remain on the sidelines. Um, I, I don't want to be a big personality. I don't want to be a you know, I don't, I don't want to uh, wrestle pythons on TV or anything like that. On the desire to be that way, and I, I, I like, the, I like the, you know, it's kind of the the Taoist saying, you know, the the master does her work and then steps back. Mm. So I like that. You know, you, you you do your thing and but you you stay out of your own way. Uh, but I also like the idea of learning new, always learning new things, always trying to keep on top of of new ideas. Uh, uh, new tools, new, you know, new ways of doing things, or just think, you know, looking around, well, there's not very many podcasts that are about herbs. Um, maybe I could do, you know, that kind of thing. So I try to, you know, keep moving forward with, with new things. Um, I think it's good for your brain, uh, especially when things are hard and it's, it's hard to figure things out. Uh, I think that's good. You need, you need challenge in your life. You know, and I don't mean, you know, just the challenge of going to work is enough for, I understand that completely, but, you know, try to challenge yourself and do things you're not comfortable with, like speaking into a microphone and, you know, that, that's, uh, those things are, you know, they're challenges. So that's, that's the other thing. And I think the third thing is just, you know, um, what I, it's, it's, uh, it's keeping busy, keeping active and keeping an open mind. I'm going to call that keep uh just keeping you know um keeping busy is always a, a big one especially you know i'm retired so i want to i want to keep busy keep learning keep moving mm. uh keep on keeping on you know? well that seems not to be an issue 
for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think no. You, you're, you're quite talented at that. Yeah, I need to go home and spend some time at home because uh, I've been gone a lot the past three months. So I need to, I need to put some time in at home and and uh, spend time with my with Nell. And, uh, I was going to say, shout out know. to Nell again. <laughs> you're a good woman. Yeah, get some things done around the house, uh, some home projects. But uh, yeah. But I, you know, it, it's, those things are a little easier now that I'm retired, you know, but I'm not wealthy either. So I just can't, you know, I'm not jetting around the countryside like some rich playboy or something, you know. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Just a couple more here. So where you got this whole big, beautiful green earth and you've herped most of it. So uh, you, you've, you've been everywhere. Man. Well, I haven't been to Australia. Okay, so yeah, where where do you want to yeah, go? I haven't been to Madagascar, so those are really high up okay. on my list. Haven't really done Africa; that's pretty high. And it, probably, you know, I, I managed to make it to Europe. So, uh, and it's not that much. I, I think I think this is my seven. I think I have seventeen countries now, hmm. um, mostly in you know the Western Hemisphere. Um, but I, I think um, I'd love to do Australia. And I would love to visit Madagascar. Those are my two top places to go to visit. And I still need a great band king, great banded king snake. So okay. <laughs> to go back to Texas. Too. So yeah, West but, Texas yeah. and yeah. But those are the two really big ones on my list. And you know, like I said, uh, you know, I'm not made out of money, so those those trips are going to take a, some doing to. To, to manage. Them. Mike accepts Venmo and PayPal. <laughs> Send Mike to Madagascar. Yeah, he will. He will one way ticket. He will do an episode there, and he'll give you a shout out. Uh, you'll be a, a silver level. Uh, yeah. So much pingolet. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, okay, excellent. And so, my last question. Here we are on the so much pingle herpetology podcast. Why? Why start? A herpetology podcast. What was what got into your head that made you think this would be a good idea? I and let me say, I think it was a good idea. But what, what was the what was the kernel that started that? <sighs> I must have lost my mind. Um, well, it's it's like many things. Yeah, I mean, I, I like podcasts. I like listening to to podcasts. Uh, some podcasts, um, some other ones, I'm not a, you know big fan of, but. Uh, and so uh, I, you know, wondered, you know, there are a few herp-related podcasts out there. There are many, uh, like, cap, you know, the captive-bred herpetoculture. There's plenty of hot podcasts there, but it's not really an interest of mine uh, at this point. But uh, uh, I just thought, well, and that's kind of how, you know, my brain works. Like, there's not very much going on here. Maybe I could do one. And, and, and I have to say, all credit, in all fairness, you know, it didn't start there. It, it started when Scott Wanders asked me to do a radio show a number of years back, uh, probably 10 years ago, or, or I can't remember now. Uh, he asked me to do a radio show, and I, I started thinking about it and started moving in that direction. But, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, a full-time job and working in management, so I have a lot of things going on in at work and in, after work included. So there, I didn't have a lot of free time. I just wasn't going to work. And uh, so, you know, credit to Scott for kind of giving me the germ or the idea. And then, of course, you know, 2019, summer of 2019, I'm thinking, well, I can do this. 
all you do is talk into a microphone. <clears throat> and then, you know, started looking into it and then realizing, oh my God. I even actually bought the, you know, podcasting for dummies book, <laughs> uh, which was right up my alley. Uh, and started thinking, well, I still think I could do this. Um, and, and I, okay, let's, let's do this. I'm retired. I got some time. Let's, let's see how this goes. How, how much time could it possibly take? Yeah. Eh, one day a week. So, so I, you know, did my research, bought my equipment, lined up some guests, started recording shows, found out it's, you know, there's a lot more to it, uh, than I thought, which is pretty much if everybody knew up front the associated costs in terms of time and materials and money for any project, nobody would do anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 this blithe, oblivious approach to to any project that that you know leads to sex, successful projects, right? I mean that, that's how successful people do things is they. They, you know, it's damn the torpedoes. Let's let's just do this and see what happens. Let the chips fall where they may. And so that's yep. sort of. But then COVID hit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that you know that was it's like oh I got I had like five or six show in the can and then and then COVID hit and it's like oh no, but it's still it's like well I'm committed so I'm I'm gonna do it. I, I want to continue to do that. So so yeah. So that's kind of how it it went. And uh, you know I'd like to keep doing it for as long as I can, but you know, it does take a lot of my time. It takes a lot of effort more than I thought. Um, uh, and not just the editing, uh, part of the show or, the, you know, chit chat like we're doing here. Um, but you know, there's other, you know, aspects of, you know, putting together show notes and getting pictures and then, um, getting people to come on the show, which I've, I found that I need to have four or five, uh, balls in the air there with people, you know, and their schedules is, you know, trying to get people to come on the show. And I have, you know, some verbal agreements for some shows in the future that I haven't scheduled yet. And that, it, that's got to keep, I gotta, every week I got to move those things forward to keep, you know, interviews happening so that I don't run out of, uh, the worst thing is to have the two or three week gap when I don't have any shows at all. So I try to always have shows coming in. That, uh, I have a couple recorded shows still in the can so that you need to come out so well those gaps usually only happen when you're out on some amazing herpin trip and probably recording more yeah i i can't uh, i can't do it i can't I, I could probably set up an automated system where they come out while i'm gone but uh, i'm not going to rely on that and, and it, you know this is just how it be folks yep you know, yep so well yeah for sure for sure cool well Mike, I think, I think that's all the questions I have for you, unless you have anything you want to add at the end here. <sighs> Thanks to everybody who listens to the show. Really appreciate that. Yeah. I, I hear from people. Here's what I hear. Here's another thing I hear from people. I'll run into somebody and they're like, Mike, I got like five episodes I never got to, but I'm going to get to them. You know, it's, it's like I'm, you know seeing through to, to their mind and I know why haven't you well why haven't you listened to them you know it's, it's okay folks I, yeah, I understand you're busy so I appreciate it if you listen to it, uh, one show or all of them it doesn't matter I appreciate it um, appreciate all the feedback too always like that so people uh, feel like they want to reach out and talk to me about it uh, um, that'd be great uh, you know 
Yeah, I think uh, I, I think maybe I speak for you when I say if you get this little inkling that oh I would like to see this or I thought this was great, like just just send an email. I don't think uh, anybody, you know, me as an author, or you as an author and podcaster and whatever, nobody gets tired of seeing those or, or hearing suggestions. Even if you don't take the suggestions, it's just nice to know that somebody somebody cares about the work that you're doing and is benefiting from it because that's that's why we do it, right? We, right, right. We do it because we want. People to it's, it's like when you you have this you find a scientific paper and you you can email the author let's say you need a scientific paper and you know about it, you know who the author is and you got the email you send them an email and you say can I have a copy of your paper could you send me a PDF holy cow they're so happy five minutes five minutes <laughs> do you have questions happy to answer them got and it turns out you have questions they're happy to answer them somebody. It's reading their work. Somebody cares about what they do. Uh, it's amazing uh, how much, how, how true that is across multiple authors and multiple mm-hmm. scientists. So, so I, I like to feel the same way. It's like, yeah, I, I love getting email from people. So. Yeah. So from IT to podcasting, it can be a thankless job. So thank you, Mike, <laughs> for, for coming on here and uh, on your own show, nonetheless, and, and letting me talk to you for a while. Um, and, uh, I really, really appreciate it. I know your audience really appreciates it. And, uh, I would like to admonish you to hurt better. (laughs) I'll do my best. All right. Thanks, Mike. Well, what can I say? Thank you, Josh, for filling in for me like Joan Rivers to my Johnny Carson and I think you did a fabulous job on the Oaks Witcher Room. The check is in the mail, buddy. And uh, thanks to Rob Kreutzer and the anonymous folks who sent in questions for me to answer. Much appreciated and uh, hope this episode scratches the itch for all of you out there who demanded that the uh, questions go the other way for once. And uh, of course I apologize for some of the microphone bumps and bonks and other distracting artifacts and uh, oh by the way this uh, was recorded in June of 2022. Also, I mean to always thank the folks who support the show via Patreon and other means. I really appreciate your support, and it means the show keeps rolling right along. And last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at so much pingle at gmail.com. As I said during the episode, I like hearing from folks. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. 